Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. DMV Download, the new daily podcast from WTOP News is out now. Hosts Megan Clorty and Luke Garrett get the story behind the story. Every weekday afternoon, Megan and I will go beyond the headlines with WTOP reporters and sources to bring you more on the biggest local stories impacting you, our fellow Washingtonians. The DMV Download podcast is available now on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe today so you don't miss an episode. The DMV Download podcast is presented by Steamfitters Local 602. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Forty years ago today, the iconic sitcom Barney Miller aired its series finale on May 20th, 1982. I spoke to screen legend Hal Linden in 2017 when he starred in Arthur Miller's The Price at Arena Stage. We are here with the one and only. One and only? That's the only one I know. (laughs) (laughs) Hal Linden. Nice to meet you, Jason. Are you kidding me? The pleasure's all mine. No, we're here to talk The Price, Arthur Miller's uh, classic at Arena Stage. Now, before we dive into the show, I hear that once upon a time you played in an army band down at Fort Belvoir? You were in the area? Well, you've been you've been checking your Google, huh? <laughs> That's what it's for. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's for. I actually, this, that was a turning point in my life. Really? Uh, yeah. Up until that point, I was a, uh, a musician. I was a trained classical clarinet player. If I had any discipline, I probably would have ended up in a major symphony. I was very good. Uh, I ended up kind of sliding over into jazz. I played with uh the big bands and uh when i went in the uh, army i was stationed indeed at fort belvoir in the band playing the clarinet i had never set foot on a stage i had no interest in the stage (laughs) i never even went to the theater i came from new york i never went to the theater uh and it was in fort belvoir i was always the band singer i was always the personality kid out in front you know um so when I when uh, when I was in Belvoir, I got involved with the soldier shows, singing, and at some point, you know, doing sketches and whatnot. And uh, when I got out of service, it happened to coincide with the end of the big band era, the beginning. <laughs> Good timing. <laughs> well, it was the beginning of rock and roll, which never, <laughs> I never appreciated. And so, even after it took off, you never got into it. You I, pined for the big band days. Well, it, t- t- it took off. It was in the primitive days of rock and roll yeah. when I got out of the army, and um, uh, yes, I indeed pined for the big band days. And uh, so that's when I gave uh, 
the theater was shot, and look what happened. <laughs> so the, a lot of our listeners are going to love that, and that no one knew that the great Hal Linden had never been on a stage until Fort Belvoir playing in the Army Band. That's great. How did you? What, what was that? What was that next step then? So you see that big band's dying. You see rock and roll coming in. You say, "Oh, I kind of like being on the stage." What, what was your first acting class or role or what? How did you actually make that pivot? I I went to the only guy I knew who had ever been on the <laughs> stage. I said, "What do I do?" <laughs> and he said, "Well, you got to learn how to act. You got to learn how to sing. You got to learn how to dance. You got to learn it." So I started studying everything. I used my GI Bill. I went to the American Theater Wing and did a few uh, courses there and uh, started auditioning for summer stock. I got my first audition. I won it or I got the job. And from there and then for the next couple of years, I did both. I'd do a season of summer stock and then I'd come home and play weddings and bar mitzvahs. And uh, until uh, I finally got a, a shot on Broadway, got my big break, if you will, and uh, started uh, a career. That's so great. See, all of these roles that we've enjoyed over the years started with Fort Belvoir and then the GI Bill. There you go. <laughs> there you go. That's it. I am. I am not making a political statement, but yes, <laughs> yeah. the GI Bill. <laughs> hey, it's just it's history. It's fact at this point. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. All right. Well, this is your. We're here to talk uh, Arthur Miller's The Price at Arena Stage. Your first time at Arena. Um, actually, DC's having a bit of an Arthur Miller moment now because Death of yeah. a Salesman's yeah. over at Ford's. Um, but I guess before we dive too far into you know the show, let's let's pretend. And some of our listeners maybe haven't, they don't know what it's about. Give them the basic premise of the price. The price, the title is a metaphor uh, for the price we pay for the decisions we make. Sacrifices? Sacrifices, win them, lose them. You know, as he says in the show, sometimes the biggest decisions are the ones you don't even know you're making. (laughs) Until the results start coming in, then you're stuck with them. Uh, But we all do make decisions and moves and sad. look at the one I did you know yeah. I specifically decided to try the theater that was a, a decision I could have paid a big price <laughs> well the price was right for you but uh, the price was right and uh, the, basically that's what the what the play is about it does specifically deal with the price of, a, of, of um, furniture um, the main character is uh, trying to sell off his Father's the, the the legacy, as it were, all the old furniture from the from his father's house, which is going to be torn down. So, and I'm the dealer who comes in to give him the price. But it's basically about decisions, choices. Gotcha. Miller Miller knows how to deal with those things. Yeah, absolutely. I'm pretty sure. So when he wrote when he wrote Salesman, that was early in his career. I want to say it was probably in the forties, um, and he right. and he pulled a lot of inspiration from his own father, who I think had had lost a lot during the stock market crash. I think in New York's uh, the garment industry. But this I think is nineteen sixty eight. This is decades later, and he sets it post depression. Right. This is the backdrop of the story. How does um, what do you think from Miller's? I, I think I read somewhere that he based one of the characters on a childhood friend of his. Are you aware of this? No. Nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, tell me more about your character. Well, when I, I uh, we did the reading uh, here, one of the one of the board members, uh, as I was walking out of the room, said, "Boy, you're just like my uncle Louis." <laughs> and I said to her, "I got I had an uncle Louis too, <laughs> and I have a feeling 
Arthur Miller must have had an Uncle Louis, because yeah. that's uh, the kind of character he he, he uh, that I play, uh, a Russian Jewish immigrant who has survived all his life. He, he says I I. I struggled in six different countries, almost got killed a couple of times, but I'm, but he survived. Uh, and, uh, I, and I suspect uh, Miller probably drew from his own family. Uh, the, the, the main problem is the two brothers who were uh, not fighting over the furniture, but fighting over history. Fighting over there. Explain what you mean by that. Well, no, their history. view of what happened. They're, they're, they've obviously been been um, uh, separated for uh, about 16 years, I think. They were, or uh, the word is not separated. What word am I looking for? Estranged. Estranged. And their view of why they've both been estranged is obviously different. Right. We all stand on the same mountain, but we look into different valleys. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So, uh, uh, and then that's Miller has a terrific sense of the ironic in that yeah. sense, uh, how people see what happened in history. Yeah. It's what defines all of us when you come to think of it. I mean, <laughs> this country is being torn apart by all kinds of different views, and they're all probably valid. Uh, but they all are kind of out of context. Yeah. You have to put them in their own little silo. They're no all in their own little, exactly, their own little silo, and uh, they don't see anybody else's. And the, this is the, the tragedy of this play is that of the, is the inability to see what the other person's saying or hear what the other person's saying. Absolutely. So we've talked a lot about sort of about the characters in the show and the themes, the setting. Take me into the actual text itself, the Miller's prose. What I'm sure you've dealt, grappled with it over the years, but him as a writer itself, when you when you've actually read his words, what makes him such a great writer? Well, uh, first of all, my character is is an anomaly for, for Miller. <clears throat> I don't know that he has he ever written a, a character in in with an accent. I mean, <laughs> a, a, he's point. a foreign character. He right. you know his traditional characters have been. Uh, you know, American American, yeah. uh, American types. Um, uh, he has the ability to 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 be able to plumb an emotional moment and put it in a few words. I think that's the point. And they're interesting. They're not cliched words. They're fascinating words. Uh, the work that we did plumbing those depths was w worth everything that we'll, that we'll ever do. Just the, uh, just stopping at every word and say, why did he use that word? Why does he, uh, what, what, how do you feel about what he said? You know, and that kind of digging. Uh, I hope everybody who comes to see it enjoys it, but let me tell you something, I already got I already got the most out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll all get a little bit out of it, but you, you're, you get the most. Um, take me just into, it's your first time at Arena Stage, too. General impressions of just uh, the, the, the theater here in itself? The theater? Uh, I'm finding American theater is getting more and more uh, professional, gr uh, grounded, uh, 
it, it, American theater was always in a little, well, especially when I started it, yeah. it was always a question. We, we called it the, 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 what was it? The invalid. The invalid. <laughs> yes, we thought American theater was dying because, well, first of all, we were going to have our, our big, uh, you know, television was going to come in. Certainly yeah. nobody was going to ever go to the theater when <laughs> you can see it at home. Well, theater has survived and survived splendidly especially with with uh, regional theaters like arena where the, the 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 whole work is done it's not it used to be uh you know pastiche throw something together and send it out to the burbs right. uh, no now it's the same maybe even deeper yeah. work than i than than i did in i did uh, what 20 original broadway shows yeah. in my life and if we didn't dig any deeper there than we're digging here, and we didn't have the same, we had the, the same dedication to, to doing it as well as possible yeah. on Broadway as we did here. Yeah, and it's, it's fascinating. Th this year's big Broadway winner, the big Tony Champ, started here at Arena Stage. <laughs> Dear Evan Hansen, I'll never forget seeing it. You knew you were watching something special, but, but that's to your point. It's sort of flipped. So. And, and you're going to see that more often. You're going to see that more often because it's easier to, it's, it's, it's easier to develop ideas mm -hmm. in, in smaller uh, areas uh, yeah. and, uh, and find out if you've got something. You find out pretty quick if you've got something of value and to develop it yeah you mentioned your early years on broadway let's but, hear about the broadway debut how about making a broadway debut in the leading role of a musical opposite judy holiday imagine never had been on a broadway <laughs> stage and that was my first step on a broadway stage now that's how, a high bar <laughs> how about that for a high bar <clears throat> Pure luck. Yeah. Not well. Yeah. Pure luck. I mean, pure luck again. You were born yesterday, and she was in born yesterday. That's that, right. I mean, that's basically what we're doing. Uh, she was in bells are ringing, <laughs> and the her her leading man, uh, the, the understudy, the standby to the leading man was leaving, and there was an opening. I happened to be going with a girl who was in the show. Oh, really? And I was up in summer stock, and she went to the stage manager. I didn't even have an agent. This is the beginning. And uh, she went to the stage and she says, I know somebody who'd be perfect for the, for this. It was now going to be an understudy role, go into the chorus and, and, and uh, understudy the part. And I drove all the way in from somewhere in Connecticut or something, uh, Massachusetts, I don't remember, to, to audition for the stage manager, to get the audition to, for the casting director. I mean, that, that's how... <laughs> Right, that's where your mindset was. Well, not my mindset. That, that was reality. <laughs> that's where they, you were in your career. I couldn't get a, an audition. Yeah. They didn't know, there was no agent, and right. nobody knew me. And, um, and I did that. I, I came back about three, four times auditioning for various people. Finally, uh, I guess I, I fit, and, and they finally auditioned for Judy. Judy said, okay. Uh, that was on a Saturday between shows. It was an interesting Saturday, too, because... At the time, I was a uh, Ray Charles singer. Do you yeah, know what that was? Yeah, of course. I'm not talking about Ray Charles the entertainer. I'm talking about Ray Charles the musical director. Well, then I have no, no. no inform me. Well, on, <laughs> if you go look into your archive, archives on television shows, uh, this happened to be the Perry Como show. Okay. And there were the Ray Charles singers, a 
a chorus that sang behind uh, uh, Perry. And uh, we were rehearsing that Saturday afternoon. He had a Saturday night show live. I did the rehearsal. We broke for dinner. I ran to the Schubert Theater, auditioned for Judy Holiday. She said, okay. I went back to the theater, did the uh, Perry Como show, told Ray I couldn't do next week because I was going to rehearsal for this new show, for the show. After that, I got in my car, drove out to Long Island, and played a bar mitzvah (laughs) on the saxophone. Oh, my God. That's that's an action-packed night. (laughs) And, and, And told that leader I couldn't do any more uh, sh- right. jobs for him because I was going to go, I was going to become the uh, understudy. And I went into rehearsal on Monday with the stage manager and a book. He staged me and everything, showed me how to do it for four days. Friday, Saturday morning was understudy rehearsal. The first understudy rehearsal with other people where I actually got to do the scenes. And during the rehearsal, he said, keep going because you're on today. Wow. And I made my Broadway debut in the lead opposite Judy Holiday, never having rehearsed with her, never having... There was one big number I did, which I never rehearsed, because I never rehearsed with the chorus. I, I don't have to tell you. <laughs> but uh, that started it. I never, never played professionally as a musician again. That's crazy to me all right well before we go any further i need to know what it was like on stage with judy holiday you know what how special was that you probably were nervous as crazy as anything but at the same time just thrilled to be out there and and i will tell you the most amazing thing i wasn't nervous at all i was just so focused on what i had to do that there were no nerves um judy holiday was the most um sharing actress I think I've ever worked with. I'll tell you one quick story. Mm-hmm. We did, now we had never done it before. Right. We'd never even rehearsed, we'd never. I, Just In Time, the song Just In Time was done in one downstage, going from stage left to stage right, uh, taking her in my arms and dancing with her and singing into her ear, which I did. I took her in my arms and I started singing, just in time, I found you just in time. And all of a sudden I felt her hand on my back, twisting me, twist, strange, twisting. And I kept singing as we, and I realized she was twisting me so that I was facing the audience. So she's guiding you. And not, oh, not singing into the wings. And we got, how do you not fall in love with somebody that, and that meant that her back was now to the audience. She knew it was your moment and she wanted to give it to you. Exactly, exactly. And let me tell you something that's a very big lesson you have to learn in the theater. You always have to know what's important. Where is the audience supposed to be paying attention? And that's your job to make sure that's where they're looking. Not always at you, but at whatever is driving the play. Wow. Yeah. Big, a- mo- big lesson, my first day on a Broadway <laughs> stage. Stay tuned for the rest of my conversation with Hal Linden, but first a message from a fellow WTOP podcast. 
DMV Download, the new daily podcast from WTOP News, is out now. Hosts Megan Clorty and Luke Garrett get the story behind the story. Every weekday afternoon, Megan and I will go beyond the headlines with WTOP reporters and sources to bring you more on the biggest local stories impacting you, our fellow Washingtonians. The DMV Download podcast is available now on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe today so you don't miss an episode. The DMV Download podcast is presented by Steamfitters Local 602. Welcome back to Beyond the Fame for the rest of my conversation with Hal Linden. Any other highlights or favorite roles in between it? What, anything Goes, Cole Porter? The, the, yeah, Anything Goes was in there. That was off-Broadway. Yeah. Uh, that show I took a cut in pay from, an, from unemployment insurance to. Talk about selflessness. There you go. Well, the opportunity, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> it was a terrific, terrific opportunity. Yeah. And, and But basically... <laughs> what you're describing is a decade mm-hmm. as a as an understudy and a standby the most frustrating decade <laughs> in my life um but an interesting decade for me because that's when i i got married that's when i had four children all, all in that time so by the time i got to shows where i had a any kind of a personal reputation where they were hire me and especially the rothschilds uh which was what 13 years after after uh, bells are ringing, 12 years, something like that. Yeah. So 12 years of really struggling in the vineyards. But personal growth. But personal, personal growth. Personal milestones. Personal milestones, and then to uh, the Rothschilds, which was a fascinating moment in one lot, one's personal life and theatrical life. It was the first time a song was ever written for me personally. Really? That's an amazing thing. I didn't buy a team like Harnick and Bach, you know. They actually wrote two songs for me, but uh, I mean, there was a whole uh, score before I joined the show, but after we were in the show, one show, one song was written in Detroit. What was the song they wrote for you? The song in Detroit was In My Own Lifetime. Wow. Yeah. My kind of signature song now. And the second song was written in Philly. That was uh, uh, Coins. Coins. He tossed a coin. Mm -hmm. A really wonderful piece of material. And uh, thank heaven it uh, ended up in a, uh, in not only in a Tony, but uh, the eventual, the, the man who eventually wrote and produced Barney Miller yeah. happened to see the Rothschilds. And um, that was two and a half, three years later. And he... Uh, he remembered. And I never auditioned for Bonnie Miller. He just he, saw the role. He saw stage. the role. He saw me. And, and when he was putting the character together, I was the guy he had in mind. I want that guy that sang coins. That's there what he go. said. <laughs> he could have. He could have. Oh, that's so so uh, this is a strange business, I got to tell you. <laughs> How one thing leads to another. How one thing leads to another. And sometimes some great things lead to nothing. I knew too many magnificent performers who just never had the opportunity to to shine and in, 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 you know in a, publicly shine. They've done it privately with their everybody knew they were great, but the, never 
Zahnarp is a very, very lucky human being. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned Barney Miller. I mean, that's what, when, when, when I post this piece and we say Hal Linden, everyone say, you talk to Barney Miller? You know, that, I'm telling you, man. I'm so beloved. I obviously caught it in reruns. You know, I wasn't around for the original, of course, original no. time. <laughs> but come on, just as magical, just as magical. Um, do you, fond memories of uh, being on set like that, the very first time, you have no idea this show is going to take off like it is. It's all kind of set back in the, in the police precinct, back behind the scenes. The first pilot was a failure. Really? Yes. There was a pilot. I, uh, the first pilot um, was hmm, in March or something, uh, or January, uh, yeah, March, I think. And uh, in August, they put it on the air as the ABC Comedy Theater. You know what that is. That's all the dead pilots. It was a dead pilot. It was not picked up. Really? The producer had such faith in it that he convinced them somehow to, uh, to uh, do another couple of episodes. And, um, and I remember he called me in New York. I got the call in New York. By this time, I had an agent, by the way. Right. Yes, and a manager. Of course. <laughs> yes, and... Uh, <laughs> And and I also had an offer for a Broadway musical. What show? Uh, the, <laughs> uh, let me. I'm I testing to, you here. <laughs> no, uh, it was a show called Doctor Jazz. Okay. Doctor Jazz. It was about it. It took place in New Orleans, about New Orleans jazz. Okay. Um, but I didn't know it was not going to be a big smash. Right. Who you know? Of course. And I didn't know what. Barney Miller, they turned it down once. Why wouldn't they turn it down again? So what, what, do, you, you, what do you do? Do you take uh, two episodes on television as opposed to maybe three, four years' work on Broadway? Uh, it was not that easy a decision. <clears throat> and it was made very cavalierly, if you really want to know. I, I waited till the last minute. I, finally, I had to make a decision, and I said, oh, what the hell, we tried Broadway, let's try television. And that was it. Wow. That was the decision. Right. <laughs> We're all glad that you did. <laughs> well, how did you, but uh, you said it was a, a, ca a cavalier decision. Um, sounds like a pretty big roll of the dice on your part. But was, was there something in the pilot, even though that it failed, was there something, did you see something in there that you said, you know, if we just keep at it a couple more episodes, that this thing could work? No. <laughs> no. Totally I had, by chance. I had no idea. Yeah. I, the truth when I was offered Barney, I was offered two other pilots as well. Uh, that came right off the, the Tony in, in uh, the, the Rothschilds, and all of a sudden I was in demand out there. I had three. I had to make a choice between three shows. Two of them were our shows, cop shows, I guess. Yeah, one was a cop show. I don't even remember the other one. Uh, but they were our shows, filmed shows. Barney Miller was a sitcom which was going to be done live in front of an audience, and I said to myself, you know, I know how to work in front of an audience. Maybe I should stick with the audience. And uh -huh. that's the reason I chose Barney, not because of any other... It's because you love being on stage in front of people. Right, which turned out to be a total uh, mistake. That is, I very quickly learned that the audience in television is not the 400 people sitting in the stands, but the camera over there. The so, millions watching at home. Yeah. Well, who eventually <laughs> yeah, watch at home. Yeah. Uh, yes. Wow. And so I chose it for the wrong reason, if you really want to know. <laughs> but it worked out. <laughs> and it, it worked out, exactly. Yeah. 
That's so great. <laughs> <laughs> why, why do you think it took off, though? We're talking about, you know, how you, you ha- you've sort of fell into it by chance and a roll of the dice, but why do you think the formula of the show worked? Sort of the behind the scenes and the, what is it, Greenwich Village Precinct? And- you said the formula of the show. Let me tell you something. It was not a new formula. There had been what they call gang comedies for decades. I go back to Phil Silvers and, and, and Sergeant Bilko. And right, right. All kinds of gang comedies. And the year that Barney Miller went on, I think there were seven gang comedies. And Barney was the only survivor. So it wasn't the formula. It wasn't the, the uh, form. It was the execution. You had probably, I think it was possibly the best writing staff. Uh, The show lived for eight seasons because it was probably one of the best written shows. Uh, There were no comedians in the original company. We were all just actors. And because it was written humor, it wasn't portrayed humor. Right, right. It was it was situational. Right. Uh, we used to take out punchlines because all you had to do was cut back to a guy's look, and you and the audience knew what the joke was. <laughs> it was it was the emphasis on the sit in the sitcom, the not the com. Emphasis on the sit in the exactly. Right. And the writing uh, was probably as far as I was concerned, you know, just superb, just the best ever. We did not ad lib. You didn't find us coming up with funny stuff and things like that because it was there. Uh, it was, and it was. It turned into, uh, as an experience, one of the best uh, acting companies, repertory companies yeah. that you could find. And even the even the people we arrested were repertory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there were people who did six or seven Barney Millers as six or seven different characters <laughs> over the years because they were so good and it became like a repertory company yeah. and as such uh, it was classic because of that yeah i want to i want to know um memories of the late abe vigoda working with that guy um he'd already he'd done godfather before yeah. barney miller and uh part two was 74 uh, the year that barney miller started he, so he was known in that vein and then to come over on the comedy set he, he auditioned for a different part Really? Yes. He went up because there was a, uh, one of the characters, one of the uh, uh, detectives had an Italian name. And, he, and his agency sent him up because of his uh, association with the Godfather that he would. And when Danny took one look at him and he said, no, I have a different idea. And he created Fish <laughs> wow. for, for, for Abe. Yeah. yeah. What was it like working with him in the, in the season? Abe? Abe was... Uh, a, Shall I use the word iconic? I guess <laughs> Abe. Abe was Abe, and and uh, everything was written specifically for that character, for that history, and for Abe. So uh, Abe, no matter what happened, was Abe, <laughs> yeah. awesome. which which turned out to be pretty great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd say. Before, last Barney Miller question. Do you have a favorite episode? You've probably been asked that billions of times with billions of different answers. Yes, but. Uh, I have been asked it a billion <laughs> times. What's one that still makes you like laugh to yourself? Okay, the, the quintessential 
Barney Miller episode that I, uh, if ever I have to pick one that somebody shows, I pick the uh, uh, hash brownies episode. <laughs> I remember seeing that one. Which was just amazing. Uh, just beautiful, beautiful episode. Uh, although the one that I recall most was one that I directed. Uh, later on, we, we uh, Max Gale directed a few, I directed a few. Uh, because understand we were really directing the acting company by that time all the cameramen knew exactly what to do where to go you know and we knew how to set up so that you could shoot it so uh, it, it wasn't you you didn't need a real cinematographer right, right. To, to direct it um, and there was one that I directed that uh, just stands out in my mind I don't even remember the name of it but uh, it featured uh, uh, Steve Landisberg and a woman who came in to complain. I think she had her her, her purse stolen. And the, the the byplay between the two of them, I remember, was, you know, banal and didn't mean anything. And it was asking about the kids and what your husband did. But the underscoring of <laughs> what had gone on between them before and what they... Re- Regretted never doing, or yeah, yeah. you know, thought maybe we could still, you know, that boiling under was just it was just a joy to find. So I remember that episode very, very deeply. That's awesome. So lots of roles between then and now, but what? But why? Why? Why the price? Where does this role fit into your your arc here? Well, uh, I'm finally old enough to play it, <laughs> uh, or almost old enough to play it. He is described in the play as 89 years old, so uh, it takes, of course, a lot of makeup to get that uh, to that to get to yes, look at that. Yeah. Look, yes. Well, you can come back in a couple years and play it again when you actually hit. When I read, there you go. <laughs> um, I also remember uh, when it was first on Broadway. I didn't see it. But it had a very fascinating history. If you got time, I'll tell you a very wonderful story. I got plenty of time. I'll, okay. sit, I'll sit here as long as you want to sit here. Uh, it's a wonderful story because <laughs> it was <clears throat> I, the year before I did a, a musical on Broadway called um, uh, Ilya Darling, one of my major hits. <clears throat> and uh, uh, it was a musical version of Never on Sunday with Melina McCoury and uh, directed by Jules Dassin. It was quite a big thing. And I played the villain, and I understudied the male lead, who was a Greek movie star they had brought over from Greece, because it, it took place, of course, in Greece. My understudy was a, 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 an actor who had spent his whole life understudying people. I talk, you know, good actors who just keep going and never shine. And he was now in his late 60s, and he was playing the bartender in the taverner. He had three lines, you know, the whole show. And he understudied me. And we were dressing roommates, so, so we kind of knew each other. And, and he had a simple life. He lived in a hotel on Broadway, which was in those days was pretty seedy, yeah. very seedy. He lived in one room, and he spent his afternoons in a coffee shop in the back table with his cronies, you know, telling lies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he got, when our show closed, he got the understudy to this part oh, wow. in the original company of The Price. Wow. And th- what is this, like 1968? 68. Okay. And three days before opening, 
The man who was supposed to play the part, who was Davy Burns, a major Broadway star, I, I think it was a heart attack. Got a heart attack. Was you know got, and all of a sudden he pa- passed away. Or no, no, oh, okay, no, okay, no, okay. no, no, no. He didn't. He he eventually, by the way, uh, Davy Burns did eventually die on stage in I think his next show. Oh my god! Oh yeah, look it up. You'll see it. Uh, but he had <laughs> he had the wisdom to go behind a couch. <laughs> And die. Wow. Yes. Show. Anyway. Could go on. It, back, it, bring it back to the furniture. Uh, there you go. <laughs> but but anyway, the other guy got the part. He was, his name was Harold Gary. You'll look him up. Mm-hmm. He's, the, he's the original mm-hmm. because he opened the show on Broadway. Now, and, and this is, he was in his late 60s, I think, by this time. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he had a, you know, he had a mo- the movies he did. Right. I never remember he was in, in The French Connection. You know, he got a part in another right. movie. Right. And, and how did it change his life? He moved to a bigger room in the same hotel. <laughs> I was going to ask you, did he stay in that little apartment? <laughs> and, and now he was sitting in the front table at the yeah. coffee shop. The difference <laughs> of his stature. Right. He now walked. Tall. He was. He was now. He. I guess all his life he had just plugged away, waiting for something to happen. And all of a sudden, at late in life, it happened. And the, he only lived, I think, maybe five or seven years after that. But, but he lived as a, a thespian. <laughs> you know, he, he had finally made he it finally as a thespian. Had that break where some where, where you had the opportunity to show what you could do. Right. So many actors never get that shot. I hear after the the price, you're also going to get a major award during the opening night of the Pajama Game. It is it is called the American Artist Award. I guess sort of a lifetime achievement sort of a deal. Um, how big of an honor is that? Can you believe you're at the, we're at this point now? We're getting the lifetimers. Lifetime achievement <laughs> award. My God, body of work. You know, one doesn't th- think of his. Uh, career as a body of work, honestly, just a, a bunch of jobs that went back to back, you know. Um, and it's, you know, it's terrific. It's a great honor, especially from an organization as prestigious as the Arena Stage. Uh, so I will be as humble as I can. Uh, I got to study a little humility between now and then. All right. Okay. <laughs> no, it's coming across. <laughs> okay. I think the microphone picks it up. <laughs> okay. Right. Hal Linden, thanks so much. This was an absolute honor to talk. We, I could sit here and talk all day. So thank you so much. A pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.